Good morning, everyone. Uh, glad to be back. Yesterday was not a fun day. It was uh, it was rough. I'm not going to go into details. You may be eating your breakfast, but it was not a good morning for me. But we're back. Lots to get to on the show today. A lot of updates. We're going to talk about policing at 835. The Maricopa County attorney and her decision not to extradite a murder suspect to New York and the battle with the DA in New York. And what that all means, that happens in the nine o'clock hour. We're going to start off with personal economy. The What is the average salary in Arizona? And what's interesting about this on national level, uh, Arizona in 2021 had an average salary of 69717 In 2022, that jumped by about $5,000. And so it is uh, it has jumped up even more than that. Median income depends on household type in 2022. The census observed that families saw an average of $88,000. Married couples saw about $103,000 in non-family households saw about 47.8. The reason why this is a big deal, according to the report from U.S. Bureau of of Labor Statistics, wages and salaries in Metro Phoenix increased by 4.4% from December of 22 to 23. Nationally, they are just shy uh, of Phoenix at 4.3% during the same time frame. So Arizona ranks second in other metro markets. The Los Angeles area had increases But it's interesting to me that we are watching what's happening, and I think that watching what works, if we put aside a lot of our uh, partisan political ideologies and we look at what works, and that's what smart people do, what works and what doesn't, Arizona has done some things in the last 10 years that have worked out very, very well for the state of Arizona. They have diversified the economy by bringing in industry, bringing in higher paying jobs, and then making sure that we had the availability to train people for those jobs. There is a switch. We're going to talk also in the in the nine o'clock hour, we're going to discuss a Wall Street Journal story that says that over half of workers in America are doing jobs that don't involve their college degrees. As most of you know, I'm I'm certainly not anti-education. As a matter of fact, I am pro-education. But the way the college system is working, many students are finding themselves getting degrees. You know, then they are saddled with large student loan debt. And then on top of that, they're finding out that that degree does not pay them enough money to live the life they want and pay back their college loans. So we've got to figure out a way uh, to educate younger people on the direction they're going to take and what it translates into in the real world. Real world jobs matter. Construction is where I came from. There's a lot of money to be made in the construction world with very little cost in education. As a matter of fact, on-the-job training is still a great way to go. Union membership, I've never been a member of a union, and I'm not a big advocate for unions, but you have to give them credit where credit is due. Um, I came from the world as an electrician, A, a union electrician. If you hire a union electrician, you are going to get a journeyman electrician that is as well-rounded in that trade as anyone else. And it, they do an excellent job of training their, their people. There's no doubt about that. Um, so having the ability, and for, for me, that's exactly what it was, the ability to learn things from other people at their expense. My bosses taught me everything about it from the minute I stepped on a job site till the minute I was running work and then had my own company. Other people were teaching me the next step in my career, and it didn't cost me anything. 
If anything, it cost them. In the long run, it made them money, but it cost them. The on-the-job training of learning from someone that did the work before me, transitioning into the office and learning how to estimate work, learning how to be a project manager and manage the jobs, those are invaluable tools that you get to keep for a lifetime. And as long as you're dedicated to the job, whatever trade that is, most of the time in the trades, they will train you at their cost. Now, there are some things I went to some different lighting design schools and some other things at my own expense because I wanted the training. But my bosses were more than happy to foot the bill to train me to do the next level of my career. So the average salary in Arizona we are seeing being one of the highest uh, in the nation. Maricopa County, uh, when I was looking at this story, Maricopa County has an average household income of 83747 which is the highest in the state. And uh, I mean, it seems like that makes sense. When we look at this and you compare it with the other policy changes and things that are happening in, in the state of California, they are running at a, about a $72 billion debt. They are now talking about forcing a $50 per hour minimum wage in California. And experts in the restaurant industry say that every restaurant in California is going to close immediately. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it certainly is going to damage that industry severely because high-end restaurants with high-end customers may be able to foot that bill. Some Someone might be willing to pay those kind of prices for a meal. But the average family won't, and you will see businesses leave. Many times these policies that aimed to, to help the average worker, and that's what this is always about the middle class, or both parties do this. It's all about helping the middle class. The way you help the middle class, the way you help the working class, is you provide enough work where there's competition for the labor. In my world in construction, you know, I was a part of that huge wave in the mid 2000s, 2005, 2006, before the crash happened, where we were paying premiums for people on job sites. What used to pay $16 an hour was paying 18.50 or 19 bucks an hour, which that's all even gone up since then. Um, I've never played with the idea about raising the minimum wage. I've never paid an employee minimum wage, ever, ever. And as a matter of fact, in the construction world, I don't know anyone who was paid minimum wage. Even the basic unskilled labor, we called them helpers, even before they were apprentices. When they were on the job site, they were the ones that ran and got material. They were the ones that cleaned up. They were the ones that were learning the t terminologies and the tools and learning the material that was used. And it was their job to make sure that the apprentices and the journeymen in job sites kept busy working and not running around chasing things. Even they were making well above minimum wage because we needed bodies on the job site. But when we start seeing a downturn, when uh, the minimum wage is falsely inflated, the very first people to go on a job site is the unskilled labor. And it's a shame because you have people that aren't learning the trade. They are the ones most in need of a job normally, but they're the first ones that have to go. You need the skilled labor to do the jobs, and I don't care what trade it is. You need the skilled labor people to complete the work. It's the unskilled, and because it's not that they're not talented, it's that they don't have the skill set yet. So when you see places like California want to falsely inflate the minimum wage so that they can make sure people have a living wage, when those industries shut down, when you look at retail in Arizona, when you watch us falsely inflate the minimum wage in Arizona, you have small business owners, whether it's a sandwich shop or an ice cream shop or a retailer of some kind, they slash their, their people. 
And that's when a, a customer service pays a price. And the people that need those jobs don't have those jobs anymore. They eliminate the jobs out of self-preservation. I'm not making this up. We all know this happens. So California is increasing the way they do things. They've got a $72 billion deficit in their budgets. And you look at Arizona and what Arizona has been able to do. We lowered our taxes for business and for individuals. We are watching industry come here. Our wages, median wages are going up. We are seeing the bolstering of the middle class when the government gets out of the way. I'm not an anti-government person. I am a small government person. I also believe more in the American workforce, which includes business owners. I believe more in the workforce in America than the bureaucrats in government. And there's a lot of people in government that I think do a good job. There are people in government that I think are there for the right reasons. But I, as a as a body, a government body, they are by nature, they get in the way. I thought of this story the other day. I'm going to give you an example. We keep talking about the red tape at the municipalities. This happened to me. Now, I had been going to the city of Phoenix as an electrical contractor for a very long time. And when I would go to the city of Phoenix to get permits, it was very simple. I could draw things. I had to make bring a couple of copies and show them what I was building, um, an electrical service or whatever. You walk it through. You get it stamped. You get your permit, and it's easy to do. So I was very familiar with the process. I had at the time a carport which had two open walls on the south and on the west side of my house was open because it was a carport. The other two walls were concrete walls. We were going to convert the carport into an office. So I wanted to put in a door, actually two doors, and I wanted to put in a closet for materials. And I took it down to the city and the hoops they tried to make me jump through. I had to show them a survey of where, what the distance was from the front wall to the street to make sure I could park two cars. And then they wanted to know the distance from the front wall of that I was closing in to the middle of the street. I don't know what they needed that for. Um, they wanted me to put in uh, smoke alarms because it was a bedroom. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an office because there was a closet in there and they had all all of these things, and I had such an argument with this guy about it was going to cost me more money to get the permit than it was to build two walls. They wanted me to put in a five-foot-by-five-foot five window, and I said, why? And they said, for natural light ordinances to save electricity. I said, it's Arizona. If I put in a five-foot-by-five-foot five window, my electric bill is going to be so high trying to cool that room, it doesn't make sense. The guy actually threw me out of his office, and I never went back. I never went back. I never did the job. It was a nightmare. The bureaucracy was not trying to get the job done the right way. This was just over red tape. This is the rules. This is how we do things, and this is how you're going to do them. And I'm glad they've changed it. The city of Phoenix has made some changes since then, but that's the changes in a positive direction so that builders and people that are doing big projects don't have to dance through the red tape to get a quality job put up. In a moment, the Office of Accountability and Transparency released a review of two Phoenix police cases. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. As always, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, the Office of Accountability and Transparency, if you're not familiar with what that is, it is a new office in the city of Phoenix, was created a few years ago. In response, 
again, my opinion, in response to the defund the police movement around the country. This was a completely is a completely civilian office. As a matter of fact, it was one of the big question marks about this office. Their job is to be another set of eyes to look at behaviors by the Phoenix Police Department. So when a, when a Phoenix police officer gets involved in a violent altercation, there are a couple of different investigations. One of them, like anybody else, if you were to get involved in a violent altercation with someone, there would be an investigation through the county attorney's office. It would be a criminal investigation. Did you break the law in what you did? There is also for them simultaneously, there is an internal investigation from what's PSB, Professional Standards Bureau. So those two bodies, one makes sure that what you did was within police policy, the other finds out whether or not you broke the law as a Phoenix police officer. Those two checks and balances, they've added to that with the Office of Accountability and Transparency. The weird thing about OAT, that's the Office of Accountability, OAT, is that there are not, they have in their rules that you cannot have ever been a law enforcement officer or an immediate family member of a law enforcement officer to be a part of that office. So it's it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, they said, and I'm not saying they're lying, but they said if they ever wanted law enforcement input, they would ask. The problem for me is there are certain professions where it is very difficult to judge somebody's actions unless you've been in that situation or you know that situation. How a doctor behaves, the lawyer, the bar association has other lawyers. And and so the no one questions that lawyers don't keep lawyers accountable. But with the police, for whatever reason, is that you guys are corrupt. It's just cops covering up for other cops. And. When an agency gets involved in a in an accident, another agency investigates the accident. They do do those things. And so I don't question necessarily um, the motive, but I do question the way it was put in place. And so they've now come out with their first couple of reports. Now, this is an ABC 15 report. What was in this report about these two cases? And this uh, and this is the one on the Wall Street Journal reporter. If you don't remember this, there was a Wall Street Journal reporter. And I'll get into more details if this doesn't. I'm going to let you hear what this is about. Wall Street Journal reporter was outside of a bank and asking questions. And he was asked to leave. And, and so listen to what happened. In the internal investigation of the 2022 handcuffing of Wall Street Journal reporter Dion Rabowin while he was covering a story outside of Phoenix Bank. Oates Review found Phoenix police failed to ask the involved officer any questions about the allegation that race was a factor in the detainment. Sometimes a sound investigation is not in the quote unquote defense interests of the city. It's absolutely, I'm just going to tell you, it's ridiculous. Guy was in civilian clothes. He wasn't dressed up. He was dressed down. As a matter of fact, he was the bank didn't want him there. So he was asked to leave. He was asked to leave multiple times and he was handcuffed and detained. So I guess one of the things they did was about the search of him or something else was in the report. But this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. The this is nothing but an insinuation. They have absolutely no evidence whatsoever to believe that race played a factor in this, that they would have done the same thing to a white reporter. They have no evidence whatsoever, but by asking the question and saying, well, why didn't you ask about race? 
Well, because race isn't a factor. These are the kinds of things that are bothersome to me in the way we do things. When a cop does the wrong thing, he or she should be held accountable. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. And I would say to you, even cops will say that about other cops. There are some people that shouldn't do the job. There are some people that sh- every job, it doesn't matter what the job is. There are some people that shouldn't should not do that job. And it's worse when you're a police officer because of the power that comes with the job. In this case, questioning whether race or not asking the question about race and saying, well, why didn't you ask about race? Well, because that's bad for the city. It's just the insinuation, and it's always that insinuation that the cops are hiding something, the cops are covering something up. Maybe it was just this guy. Did you notice? Have you noticed? He went away. He took. He. There's been nothing from them because when the full video has been been shown, when people see what exactly happened and how this transpired and how this guy was uncooperative and it was almost as if he was trying to bait the cops into doing something, they went away. You mean to tell me that if a Wall Street Journal reporter was being put upon by uh, the a police department that this wouldn't have been a national story for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks? But this is the stuff that is concerning to me when it comes to this office because the officer was cleared. I know that there was a question, and I can't remember what the question was, about the search. And there was some retraining done for this officer on the way he searched the suspect. Um And then he cleared, obviously, criminally. But here you have now this agency that has to bring up questions that are absolutely irrelevant. It's an irrelevant thing. You you are casting shadows where they don't belong. It just bothers them. We're going to get more on this a little bit later on. We're going to talk about the uh, the other case and what this means for the city of Phoenix. We're going to do that coming up here in a little bit. What we've got coming up in a moment is Gatos and the big Q poll question of the day. The Gatos big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, happy Friday, Gatos. You feeling better today? Oh, much better. Oh boy! Wait! Oh, geez! So, what did you have yesterday? You know, I'm I'm interested in this it was, stuff. It was uh, it was about a food poisoning. Are you sure it was food poisoning, I or am, was it a 24 hour no, bug? I am absolutely positive it was food poisoning. What'd you eat? I, I think I ate some undercooked chicken. Did you know you were eating undercooked chicken no, while you were eating it? Did not, you suspect it? I suspected it at the end. Does that make sense? Oh, you know, no. I, I don't want to get into it. It's gross. Oh, so, no. But it was, it was bad. So, um, yeah. Both ends? Nope. Just just hurling. Oh, gosh. Sorry. It's no good. I know. It's no it was, good, it was, man. Well, I was, and then it, by 5.30 in the morning, my voice was so raspy from, oh, from it. I, people are eating bagels right now. I shouldn't be talking about this. But, yeah, I'm better now. Much better today. Well, I like to talk about people's ailments, as you well know. It makes I, me feel better. Yeah, I, and I don't mind talking about it. Just I can just picture people right now with a, a bagel or something, and I'm talking about, yeah. yeah. So You're talking about hurling. Yep. Yeah. Well, I got a good poll for you. Are you Let's ready? Hear, Let's hear it. All right. Here's the the Gatos cue. Uh, well, we have a new poll that says if the election were held today, Ruben Gallego would be Arizona's next senator. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you, uh, I, I ask, who would you vote for in a three-way race? I mean, because still, I, I don't think Kirsten Sinema is going to run. I hope she does, but I, it doesn't look like it. But if it is a three-way race, who do you vote for? Gallego, Lake, or Cinema. It was interesting that, you know, if you break some of the numbers down from that new poll, uh, Lake trails Gallego with independence almost by 20 percent. 
And as you well know, Mike, I'm a big Carrie Lake fan and plan on voting for her. <laughs> I now know. the poll, I, the poll you're <laughs> is the poll that you are looking at. Is it the one from Noble from Mike Noble? Yes. Or, or okay, because there's another one yeah. as well that's there's pretty another close. One. Yeah, Emerson. Yeah. The Emerson poll is pretty close. I'm yeah. talking with Noble a little bit later on today and breaking some of this down because it uh, is I, interesting. I feel that my vote for Lake is going to be fantastic, and maybe some of you will follow me on this because uh, I would like to stick her in the United States Senate so she can't run for governor again. She can do far less damage to the state of Arizona if she is a senator where they go to where they go to Washington and get nothing done. So I'm, I'm actually fine with sticking her in all these meetings, you know, letting her do whatever she wants to do. And at the end of the day, nothing gets done, so she really can't hurt anything. But if she does run for governor in the next few years and actually wins, I think the state goes into the toilet. So I am voting for Lake for Senate to stick her there because they don't get anything done. That's my reasoning. One of the positives for Carrie Lake in that poll is that her favorability rating has improved. It's still on the negative side, but it has improved. It improved by 2%. No, no, this one was a little more. I think it was a little more than that. But you're right. But I'm just saying there was was one positive thing for her was that movement. I love these polls. I think they're great, and I can't wait to talk to Mike Noble about it. But you don't buy the fact she was joking when she was ripping the king, right? No, I don't think she was joking. I think she regrets it, but I don't think she was joking. And I think that, um, you know, trying to make up is the right thing to do. If you have an apology in there, which she doesn't. No, no, no. No disagreement. All right, man. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you Monday. Hey, I'm glad you're feeling better. I'll see you Monday. Thanks. That's Gato. So the Big Q Poll Question Day is brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. We're going to talk about the county attorney and the New York AG in a moment.